0: For many years, women have been subject to critique through the lens of the male gaze based on how they look and if they qualify to be wives or girlfriends or any sort of object of fantasy. Under the patriarchy, women's looks are approached to serve men. But things are changing these days. Through better representation, women are encouraged to feel good about themselves and take care of their bodies. But for every movement in a man's world, we tend to encounter some issues. Welcome to the Lagambinis podcast, Kwentong Kababa'ihan, where we discussed feminist issues that affect the modern Filipina. We are this week's hosts. My name is Tiffany. I'm Ashley. And I'm Kija. And this week, we'll be discussing beauty standards. All
1: right, so just to like start with an icebreaker. Uh, so it's been over a year in quarantine and now that summer's nearing there could be some of you still aiming for that summer body but does anyone remember around this time last year when Chloe Ting was all the rave on TikTok I personally never tried her workouts or like got into it because I had
0: my own but did you guys ever try it? No, personally, I never did any sort of workout routine during quarantine because I didn't care. I didn't care enough to like lose weight, I guess. It was like, it was pandemonium. So I felt like, oh, who cares, you know? (laughs) Yeah, true. I guess I just wanted to like,
1: you know, like be physically healthy still. I didn't really have a standard for
2: myself.
0: Yeah, me too. I agree.
2: Honestly, for me, I was also kind of that girl who wanted to have that summer body. And it's been kind of ingrained in me that during the summer, you have to be fit. You have to get like those 11 abs. And so what my friends and I did was that we worked out together in Zoom and IG call. And we would have like a set of workouts that we would do together. But then we kind of like stopped because um, our schoolwork got in the way and extracurriculars and stuff like that that's actually like
1: a good Mm -hmm. thing as well that you were able to find a social activity or like a way to be together despite but I wanted to talk about Chloe Ting and that time in our lives Mm -hmm. so apparently according to this article by Danica Lowe the, the 11 minute get abs in two weeks video by Chloe Ting is the number one home workout video on YouTube with, like, over 285 million views as of January 2021. But there's also another critique or, like, article that said that while it was possible to follow her workout, it was questionable that Chloe Ting didn't really have any forms or she didn't really explain the techniques in her videos, which potentially made them less effective.
0: And like mm. it's not as bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as bad, it's super you know. dangerous too, I guess, nah. Yeah. You can't just show people what yeah, it looks true. like, what it looks like and then not tell them, "Oh, this is actually how you do it." Yeah. True, that's true.
1: But yeah, so the writer Gabby, she said that it's not bad as a free program for beginners looking to break a sweat, especially since you know that was like the start of quarantine. But there are obviously more effective ways to build a workout routine with
0: good form and realistic expectations as well. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people mean well when they make workout videos, but I feel like this was particularly... I don't want to use the word, but it kind of capitalized on people wanting to feel sexy during quarantine. And because there was nothing else to do, there was no one else to watch. They were like, okay, maybe, you know what, I can create my own movement through the people watching right now who are bored. So I don't know, maybe that's just me, but it feels a little bit capitalistic. Yeah, Does she also like sell workout stuff? Oh, I wouldn't really know.
1: But like I actually thought I felt that way also at first like especially when it was all the rave like it was almost concerning how viral she was. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, speaking of uh, bodies and working out and weight loss and stuff, um one of our subtopics today other than um Fat phobia, which we'll be discussing, will be skin bleaching and pretty privilege. So when we talk about body image and of body positivity, I feel like we can't ignore the fact that for the most part, not that it's exclusively them, but for the most part, fat women pioneered the movement of the whole body positivity thing. And would you guys agree that <laughs> na- it's kind of a big it's a it's we're kind of standing on the shoulders of fat models and um, fat activists when it comes to body positivity yeah I
1: definitely agree with that Uh, like it's uh, for one thing they know that they take the brunt of it all themselves like they know it better
0: themselves yeah right especially people who expose themselves to Um, the critique of millions right so this movement I think began with because women wanted to take space and they wanted to take a seat at the table without being made fun of and that's regardless their body size like I don't think fat women really want to be glorified for being fat because a lot of times when women who are fat and have a certain body type have certain curves and stuff when they put themselves out there people kind of Interpret that as them saying that, oh, this is the body type that you should want. But it's not really that. People just want a seat at the table. So, me personally, I still don't feel like I'm part of that despite the body positivity movement. And I'm at 70 kilograms. Like, that's not even the heaviest that you can find, right? I can barely find clothes that fit me correctly, barely find shows that have people who look like me, you know, which that gives me the impression that I'm not really normal. So what about you guys? Have you, what are your experiences with like weight and like body image and stuff?
2: I honestly sympathize with you on that because growing up on social media, it's been kind of like shoved into my face that you kind of have to have the thigh gaps. Mm-hmm. And that was like a whole trend. And I guess that that's what kind of like projected me into feeling in- insecure about like, where my fats were, were to be placed in my body when in actuality that's just normal human anatomy you can't like dictate your body where your fats are supposed to go and where they're not supposed to go and I think that these trends such as the thigh gap trend is really harmful especially to yeah your yeah
0: girl. that's so funny you mentioned that because it's true you can't actually even you can't work out to lose weight in a certain part of your body that's that's not a thing, right? Which again, alluding back to Chloe Ting, the whole abs thing, that doesn't really work because it you can't lose weight in a certain, you can't work out a certain part of your body and just lose weight in that, right? It's it's kind of like a it's your body does what it wants type thing, right? So what about you, Ashley?
1: Yeah, I wanted to add like about the whole movement on social media how there's, like, such a varying difference of the way people treat, like, plus-size models or, like, influencers, celebrities versus the way people treat, like, skinny ones or even ones that are, like, underweight. You never really see comments, like, on pictures of, like, really skinny models going, like, oh, you need to eat more. Like, what's wrong with you? But in every, like, plus-size influencers photo, there's, like, bound to be someone saying, like, Why are you promoting this kind of body Kenyan? You know, like it's always about like shaming plus size people for being like obese or promoting obesity when they really aren't. And people never really like talk about how harmful it also is to be like
0: extremely underweight as well. Yeah, that's the thing because I feel like there are primarily three things that hurt the body positivity movement. And that the first thing is that we have a terrible relationship with weight. Like we equate thinness with health and we equate fatness with unhealthiness. Right. So that makes it difficult to kind of diagnose people's real conditions because we kind of look at how they look outside and diagnose from there. Like if you have this condition, for example, if you have diabetes, oh, it's because you're fat, you know, or, or. We've never we never really do the same thing to other people with other body types, right? So, uh, licensed mental health counselor Molly Barr actually explains that just some pe- just as some people are short, others are tall. Some have smaller bodies and some have bigger ones. Genetics and social determinants of health play a such bigger role. In body size and in health, so it's it's really a genetic thing. We really can't help sometimes how our body looks. Like uh, Keisha said a while ago, you can't really help what your body looks like. You can't choose where the fat is gonna go or where the weight loss is gonna come from. And I feel like that's a big reason why women struggle with losing weight and getting good health care right so have you guys have struck have had struggles with this like I don't know like any body health issues now people have told you oh it's because you're you're not doing this honestly Um, like
1: I never really experienced that type of struggle and like I'm this is coming obviously from a privileged place, I guess, that my body somehow fit into the standards of society. So I'm, I can't really like say or speak for others when I never really felt like what
0: they went through. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's funny because I have had so many things about my body pointed out. So, so like I said, I'm I'm kind of weighty. I'm not I'm not skinny. I wouldn't be considered skinny. But a lot of the things that I've felt in my life, like if I have a pain somewhere or if I have like a problem with breathing or like a problem with my muscles, it's always like, oh, it's because you need to lose weight. Or I mean, I guess I understand that um, losing weight can have a lot of um, benefits for our health. Um, it for some people, it can a working out, especially you're having a good diet. It all, it's all well and good, but to judge it based on aesthetics alone, because I feel like at the end of the day, all of these comments are rooted on to the patriarchy. It's because it's being fat doesn't appeal to what men like at the moment. It's not the trend, unless fatness becomes a trend people are not really going to respond to fatness the same way they do to being thin in regards to health right so what do you guys think is the um norm for like body what's the norm when it comes to bodies in a patriarchal society we can
2: always see like women with flat stomachs, with abs. And honestly, even with like plus sized models and other um, women on the bigger side of the scale uh, like that are portrayed in the media, it's always so weird because they always expect them to have flat stomachs when usually that's not the case with normal women who aren't portrayed in the media. And I feel like the flat stomach trend is kind of like really glorified. And it's weird because we carry a lot of our organs there, and why should we have flat stomachs when we we need those organs to kind of function,
0: you know? Yeah, that's exactly right. I actually agree because we have trends, we have body trends that actually include some weight in the ass region and in the uh, chest region, in the thigh region, especially now in the Kim Kardashian sort of age. We glorify weight. At a certain body part, but if when it comes to your stomach, oh, it has to be flat. You you can't have weight in this body part. But if you have weight in your butt, perfect. We love that for you. Right. So I think another reason why, um, but the body positivity movement isn't moving forward is because it still lacks body representation. We don't see people with actual fat bodies around too much. Right. So And this is the kind of thing that really kills. This is lethal. It kills fat people. It kills thin people. Um, Eating disorders is a very um, prevalent issue. Um, And also, like I said a while ago, diagnosing health issues is very tricky when doctors themselves look at patients the way the patriarchy looks at people when it comes to their health. So yeah. Another question, I guess, as a wrap up of what we have discussed, what do you guys feel about other people commenting on your bodies? Like, what do you feel about others having a say on what you should look like or what you should do about your health based just on on your outside looks? It's not, they don't know what your cholesterol levels are, but they still make comments about your bodies. What do you guys feel about that?
1: Honestly, like, sometimes, like, people would comment on my body, and even if it's, like, meant in a supposedly positive way, like, oh, you're so skinny, like, do you even eat like that? Like, it feels
0: yeah,
1: uncalled for or something, like, parang, like, it, I didn't really ask for it, so it's not like, like, you didn't really have a place to, like, you know talk about my body because I didn't ask for you to.
0: Yeah. Right? It doesn't feel like your body is your body. So I feel like that's really what's holding us back is still that other people have a say with what our body looks like. So um, speaking of that, we can move on to our next topic, which is skin bleaching. All right. So on
1: the topic of skin bleaching or colorism, I just wanted to give like a little more context on its like severity, I guess. So as per an article by Audrey Noble for Vogue, a recent World Health Organization report found that half of the population in Korea, Malaysia, and the Philippines use some kind of skin lightening treatment. And you know, like some history on that is like how having light skin implied that one was a woman of high class education and leisure. So that so a woman's light skin meant she didn't need to work outdoors to make a living. So I guess to start this part, I wanted to ask if you guys ever like what are your personal experiences with like skin whitening products?
2: When I lived in the Philippines for a year, I was when I came from like um, Guam, right, I was really dark because I played tennis, which is an outdoor sport. So naturally, I get tan under the sun. And when I went there, I couldn't find anything that wasn't like papaya soap. And so I kind of had to resort to that as to use as my soap, because other alternatives weren't um, readily available as papaya soaps were. So it's kind of just like some some people the the capitalists the businesses the big businesses they don't give you much of a choice than to bleach your skin and when that happens it kind of normalizes that everyone should have bleached skin yeah
0: like when you go to the grocery aisle like in the soap area uh, the facial soaps and the body soaps, almost, like, I would say 75% of those products are whitening products. Like, you can't find good products that would just make your skin better. It would just make you whiter or brighter or whatever word they use. It's always something to do with lightening, which, I, yeah, like Kija said, it normalizes now. oh, this must be the norm. This must be what's correct to do.
1: Right. That's so true. Like, I just wanted to add also my personal experience, like as a child compared, I guess, to now the presence of skin whitening products and like the ads for it were everywhere, not just like in aisles of like the department stores. It was also like,
0: yeah.
1: yeah, it was also in commercials as well. Like there were a lot of them. And I remember like being very personally impacted by this as like, someone I guess considered dark skinned it felt like you know I had to like wash off this darkness for me like that's how I felt as a kid oh my god
0: that hurts me to hear
1: that (laughs) yeah you know like as a grown woman and seeing how messed up that was If like are there still little girls out there who are like naturally dark skinned and very beautiful for that and they just like they feel that they're wrong,
0: I guess, for they're having skin like that. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to I just want to share. Like, I have a niece who has dark skin. She's dark skinned. And like all the time, whenever I would say how beautiful she is, or like compliment how nice she looks, she would always go back to how dark her skin is, which is very discouraging because I'm pretty sure she gets that from like social media and sites like TikTok or Instagram that promote lighter skin right and especially with k-pop culture and their light skin i feel like it has it has a lot of continuity in that on that on that sense i guess
1: yeah and on that topic like i guess everybody's like people's comments or like especially from the adults have such a big role to play with that as well you know like it exists even in the most subtle ways like comments that go like, ang itim mo na, or, like yung initim mo, stuff like that it feels like while we may not realize it it definitely leaves an impact on people in like a psychological sense consequently perpetuating like how white skin should be the standard and how it represents eliteness or superiority than that of darker skin so like just to move on or like add a little bit more I know everyone must be familiar with the term like mestizo or mestiza apparently Mm -hmm, that term was present like way before years and years ago like during the Spanish occupation and it was referred to like white-skinned like light-skinned people Who, you know, arrived with the Spanish and it was like used to refer to people of the elite. And it was interesting to learn this because like we still use these terms today to describe people with like light skin, right? Or white skin. And it's like, is this something so ingrained in our culture that we can't, you know, like that we really have a term for it or like a label for it? Like how harmful is adding a label to like white skin people to our culture yeah you know?
0: like i feel like that's another thing that was left over from the colonialist people uh, the the colonies that took place in the philippines cuz like we still haven't moved on from these things and it i i feel like it shows how much we still haven't healed or we still haven't um internalized what happened to us and we still are not tackling these issues head on and I feel like that's a lot of reasons why we're still backwards kind of as a country and it's it's because we can't tackle things like colorism and how we still discriminate each other on the basis of our skin color
1: right and I just wanted to read this excerpt from like a study by Francine Simson For the Virginia Commonwealth University entitled Colonialism's Role in the Success of the Filipino Skin Whitening Industry. So in her study, she found that skin whitening products were mainly marketed to the lower class. And that was because colonialism would especially manifest itself in Filipinos that also have an overwhelming preference for light skin And who would use skin whitening products and bleach to achieve this look? And the use of these products definitely implied that many Filipinos consider their own culture and appearance inferior to that of their European and American counterparts. So, I mean, now now that we know that, now that we know that, you know like all these skin whitening products were marketed especially to the lower class I wanted to end like with asking you guys a question and also for the listeners hopefully how can we empower Filipinos to celebrate their natural skin color and how do we empower I guess what she called like the lower class or whoever falls most like vulnerable to these products how do we empower
0: them? I think that it really begins with education because once we start talking about these things and we start understanding that these are harmful to us as people because it is a rejection of who we are and in, in trying to manipulate what we naturally look like for the sake of some unknown desire to be wanted by i don't know who maybe it's it's the white man still we're still alluding to that we're still um trying to catch men's attention um for skin because i know that there's a lot of conversation about choice in terms of um beautifying ourselves but i feel like a lot of it a huge part of our brains function and decide to be pretty or be appealing because of men at the end of the day or whoever we're trying to impress it's all still for the male gaze and so i feel like once that understanding comes along um it will be easier to understand that that is highly related to self-love and that there is politics in self-love and self-acceptance and when it when we begin to self accept or begin to accept ourselves we begin to create things and innovate and become more than what we are now so I feel like it's all interrelated it's what's keeping us down at the end of the day and I feel like that's a huge thing it's a huge mission to I guess tackle but little by little to understand that beauty is who we are as people and it's not necessary at all. I feel like once we start understanding that on a base level, I feel like a lot will change. So yeah.
1: Right. Thank you so much for that. And just like to end my part, I wanted to end with like uh, the Filipino American actress's comment. See, um, I forgot her name. Oh my God. But she said something like colorism is systemic and it literally affects people's quality of life. Colorism can affect someone's ability to get a job, the types of jobs they can get and how severely one is punished for a crime. So to end this, I hope that people could really think about how impactful this subject is and how we can like go grow around these standards that we set for ourselves. And moving on to Kija's topic
2: on pretty privilege. I wanted to start off to say that as much as we try to deny it, we judge the book by its cover and we perpetuate that through pretty privilege. And, you know, judging a book by its cover is kind of ingrained into like our culture. Our parents don't want us to get tattoos because we're going to be branded as criminals or our parents don't want us to a certain way, for example, wearing revealing clothes, because we're, quote unquote, promiscuous for wearing such clothes. And I digress. Being conventionally attractive gets you farther in life. And according to study breaks, full chronomics, for example, is a study of economics of physical attractiveness. And being beautiful can make getting a job easier, make you more popular, thus giving you more social capital and earn you a lighter sentence if you are convicted of a crime. And, you know, this boils down to the question. What do we consider attractive nowadays? And I wanted to get some opinion from you guys with what the modern Filipino society considers attractive nowadays. So on
1: that topic, I think it still revolves a lot around like Eurocentric beauty beauty standards. So there's light skinned or like white-skinned Filipinas or half, you know, like half Filipino, half something. Like somehow it is a standard for everyone. Like, oh, if she's light skinned. Or if he even is light-skinned, then they're attractive. You know, I feel like it manifests in a lot of
0: ways. Yeah, I feel like if you want to see what the beauty standards in the Philippines are, it's so easy to find because you can see them on TV. Whoever's on TV, like if you observe all of them, you would see the same features, like they have a prominent nose bridge, they would have lighter skin, they would also be skinny, and it's all very Eurocentric, <laughs> is, is that's the word, is Eurocentric. Yes, exactly. And the pretty privileged Saying
2: encapsulates our bias in favor of those that are considered beautiful. And because beauty is socially constructed, and the Philippines being a colonized country, Spain colonized us, America colonized us, pretty privilege thrives off of existing beauty standards that devalue individuals from marginalized groups. In essence, indigenous Filipino women are like how indigenous Filipino people conventionally look, and they're not. It's in today's society, it's not kind of like eye-catching, so to speak. We don't commonly look at them and say, oh, they're pretty because they don't have the light skin, the light eyes, the straight hair, and the skinny physique. And, you know, pretty privilege reinforces social inequalities by privileging the white, thin, able-bodied individuals. And interrogating and deconstructing biases against those that don't conform with Western beauty standards can help create a more equal society. It will take a lot of decentering whiteness and maybe even dismissing facial beauty as meaningful in the first place. And with that said, I kind of wanted to ask you guys how you guys are starting to recognize your beauty as a Filipino without giving more credit to your more Eurocentric features, so to speak.
1: Oh, that took me a while, I guess. And I guess I'm still working on it as well. But I think a lot of accepting like how we look as Filipinas, as people of color, it takes a lot of understanding that the beauty standards that are set for everyone has nothing to do with you it's not your fault that you don't fit to those standards and it doesn't make that doesn't make you any less pretty or like attractive in a sense like it's all really subjective and if you find yourself attractive if you find yourself pretty then that's all that matters so I guess that's where I stand now and how I see myself it's like if I find myself attractive
0: if I find myself
1: pretty then that's okay and it makes me happy
0: yeah, with me, actually, it's more of a revolutionary thing because like if I continue to pander to Eurocentric beauty standards, that means I'm rejecting my heritage. I don't know if this is how other people would see it because it is systemic and it's not your fault if you are, if or if you conform or want to conform to Eurocentric beauty standards. But with me personally, I feel like it's rebellion to accept yourself and to embrace those features that are naturally Filipino or like purely Filipino, if we can still have that. And those parts of me that were mixed in from other races, because I, as a Filipino, that's, that's who we are. We're a mixture of all these things. And it's revolutionary to embrace that and to not try to change it and lean towards one or the other. It's to just look at yourself in the mirror and be like, hey, I'm freaking beautiful. And, and to go beyond that and to be like, hey, my heritage is also freaking beautiful. So that's sort of how I'm trying to go about my beauty and trying to change and revert how I feel about Eurocentric standards.
2: Now that Ms. Tiffany mentioned that, it is like a systemic thing. And Miss Ashley kind of mentioned how big businesses kind of target the the ones in the the working class to like kind of capitalize off of their insecurities. And, you know, the industry kind of like thrives because business leaders profit from the oppression of those who are less attractive and promote oppression based on a level of attractiveness through advertising and kind of like um, colorism and skin bleaching. They kind of want to promote it to the lower class Filipina that white is beautiful, that you should like bleach your dark skin in order to be deemed beautiful by other individuals around you and you know in clinical practices those who are able-bodied are more preferred by their counselors or like how their appearance the appearance of a client can also impact the counselor's perception of the severity of the client's mental illness and there's kind of like a bias in clinical practices And other fields that they prefer more conventionally attractive people that they cater towards the conventionally attractive people when they do like treat them or when they perform services for them. And it gives those unattractive people the shorter end of the stick because they're not going to be receiving the same services as those who are attractive because of pretty privilege and i wanted to kind of ask you guys how you guys have been have benefited from pretty privilege or if not how do you guys think someone else's pretty privilege disadvantaged you i can definitely recall moments like in
1: high school and grade school like i could just feel it nobody really said it but i could feel like oh this person got their thing or like their accomplishment because they were the first one on the list you know it felt like that like they're considered so attractive so let's just give it to them it, you know it felt like things were a lot like handed to them easier than it were for other more people convenient
0: with, I guess yeah
1: for it was easier for them to achieve things or like to like be recruited for like orgs or like competitions and stuff because they were the first on the list and you know it was handed to them it felt like that would be
0: like class presidents also or like council <laughs> yeah. people yeah back,
1: yeah back in grade school but also like I will definitely admit that I've also benefited from like these standards you know like on the body standards I've never really felt any discrimination for my body so I think that's one thing that I've definitely privileged
0: from. Yeah it's interesting you mentioned bodies because growing up I felt like because I was a fat kid so it was very difficult for me to do everything because there were relays there were like people made us run in PE class and all of those things always made me feel like oh I'm I'm not cut out for this. I can't be part of this right now I am this is not a space for me to occupy you know that's that was always my thing is that being a fat kid you're kind of afraid to move yeah relating to pretty privileged growing up that that definitely affected me until now as an adult it still does so yeah
2: okay and I wanted to kind of conclude with a study done by Gentle's Pert about controlling beauty ideals um she said that Women, however, also learned that feminine beauty has less to do with physical perfection and more to do with behavior and decorum in service of white masculinity. Assigning values to women's bodies based on cultural and racial standards of beauty is an expression of white masculine power, relations in which all women are ultimately losers. However, some lose more than others. This assignment of value placed on beauty creates a vertical hierarchy in which women must compete. All right, now, let's head on over to the Instagram replies where we asked you all for your self care routine and you all answered.
1: All right, so I can start with my favorite one from the replies on Instagram. So this is by Sashim.ich and she answered, Her self care routine is to journal her feelings. This is like my favorite, I guess, not as not really just as a creative writing major, but like as someone that has been journaling my whole life and I've been trying to like practice journaling more every day because I find that you know being able to reflect on yourself and being introspective can also benefit the people around you because like I've found that journaling my feelings or like my experiences throughout the day has really helped in understanding myself more so like let's say I journaled about like how I got angry at something today and why it helps me understand like oh maybe next time I can work on this and yeah it was really nice to see that other women that's other so people
0: sweet. <laughs> yeah yeah really nice. I never thought of it like that like having it be beneficial to other people also that's so nice <laughs>
1: yeah I like yeah it just really helps like it helps you know because when you write it down, like you can physically see it instead of it being in your mind. So, like when you write this down, it's like, oh, I can work on that. And you know, it helps you be a better person as well.
0: Aww, so, yeah, so, so I'm nice. glad.
1: I'm glad that Miss or Mr. Sashim.ich on Instagram
0: also does the same. And I hope that it helps them. Yeah. Yay. Okay. So, I love that. Journaling. i I maybe I should journal more now. Hearing from that. That's that's a good way to put it. To to like you have a proof of what it's like to process your feelings. Like you're processing your feelings in front of you. So yeah, that's a good fave. Mine, mine, my favorite for uh, my favorite comment is actually from our very own Ruth, and she said to listen to your body and to listen to it very well because it gives us a lot of cues. About stress and about um, needing rest. So lately, I've been feeling I've been much more attentive to my body and what it's telling me. Because sometimes I would be like, "Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to just quit doing whatever I'm doing. Quit this project. Quit this job. I I just want to stop." But then I would be mindful all of a sudden that. Wait a minute. I'm actually just tired. Maybe I just need water. Maybe I just need a nap. Maybe I just need to talk to a friend, you know. And I realize that the body can really tell you all of these things. It gives you exactly a blueprint of what it needs for you to succeed and move on for your next whatever next top uh, or whatever next endeavor you're going to be facing. It's it's like so convenient, honestly. That when you can just sit down for a five minute meditation or you can take a second to breathe and ask yourself, what do I need right now? And your body will 100% respond to that. Whatever impulse it is, you, we really shouldn't stop that. So if you need to sleep then sleep, if you need to take a nap, then nap, If you need to pee, then go pee. And if you need to like straighten your back or something, it, your body will tell you exactly what it is that it needs. So I feel like this is solid advice for Miss Ruth. Honestly, I relate to that
2: because lately I've been kind of overworked. I've, I have like a job. I have an internship and then I have my extracurriculars and then I have school. But luckily we're on spring break, but then the work also kind of continues on. And sometimes when I'm staying up, my body just tells me to sleep. And Honestly, when I listen to my body, I just feel so much better. Okay, so moving on. Mosi.ph said, never skip breakfast. So I'm kind of for this one because I I never eat breakfast and it kind of started in high school because our classes started at 6.45 a.m. So you kind of have to wake up at 4.30, reach the bus stop so you don't miss the bus at like 5 a.m. in the morning. And you reach school by 6.30. And by that time, you only have 15 minutes to get to class. And the cafeteria is kind of closed. So I've kind of, like, developed the habit of skipping breakfast. And whenever I eat breakfast, it kind of, like, gives me a sense of normalcy in my life. That I'm kind of, like, not rushing so much that I'm not busy, that I'm going with the flow. And I'm not, like, so conscious with the time. And skipping breakfast, honestly... It gives you a head start of your day because it, it you know, fuels your body. Um, it feeds your hunger. And, you know, when you're hungry, you don't, don't really like you can't really focus with your work and you tend to be in a really bad mood. So skipping breakfast is really important.
0: You know, really lately I have, I have also been eating breakfast and it's such a huge difference. Like you really do feel your energy get so much higher than it was. It's crazy. It's just a meal. It's, it could be a banana. It could be an apple. It could be a glass of water, but it just, it's it's so fueling to have something in the beginning of the day so definitely agree with that that's solid advice we skimp on breakfast all the time especially I feel like when we were in college or are in college like you really don't have time for eating breakfast so I feel like yeah that's so solid like no don't skimp on breakfast everyone just just eat whatever tiny thing you can
1: yeah right I just wanted to add to this like how breakfast can be really be a part of like our morning routines you know so aside from like brushing your teeth washing your face like it's vital to include breakfast as well and I've also been like noticing like people saying that having a morning routine is so important for your peace of mind as well because I I'm guilty of like you know like the first thing I do in the morning was to pick up my phone or like go on my phone to answer and sometimes I still do that but yeah same you know, yeah but like some of my favorite spiritualists I guess on Twitter have been emphasizing how it's so important to establish a morning routine for yourself and that definitely includes not skipping breakfast. So moving on from that, we're going to wrap up our episode today. And now that we've discussed everything, I just
0: wanted to ask if you guys had anything to add in general. For me, my takeaway is that it doesn't really matter what aspect of beauty it is that we're targeting. I feel like all of the things that we discussed were born out of, first of all, the patriarchy. And second of all, it was born out of colonialism and things that we still haven't confronted as a nation and how we look and how that relates to our identity as a a community. And I feel like that's something that we don't ever really talk about. Colorism is, um, is something we don't talk about. Fat phobia is something we talk about sometimes, but only in a negative way. So all of these things are solvable. They're not impossible to eradicate. We just really need to... Talk about them more. We need to be aware when we ourselves are thinking or kind of contributing to these beauty standards that hurt us deep inside. So, yeah, it it begins with us who as as individuals, really. I think uh, I think that's that's where wellness begins and that's how healing begins because this is really what it is to acknowledge beauty standards and how it hurts us is healing and it's empowering at the same time. Yes, I
2: agree with you, Miss Tiff. And I think that finding beauty in yourself and actually acknowledging that despite the fact that you look different from what is considered as conventionally attractive, it's honestly just thinking that it's you against the world. It's, it's your features. It's your roots that are kind of like fighting against the normality of colonized concepts and you know you have to fight against succumbing to these pressures of having to fit a certain standard because in reality you're already beautiful yourself and you know beauty is in the eye of the beholder so there shouldn't really be a scale a rubric a requirement an eligibility to fulfill so that you can be considered attractive and you just kind of like have to find that in yourself
1: right right I just wanted to emphasize also like what I said earlier about how all these standards that were set in society and that we were born into they have nothing to do with you they're more like a systemic thing and it's also like all up to us yeah as what everybody said how you know to break out of this cycle all right one last question what else can we do to empower each other when it comes
0: to feeling insecure i honestly think that we're getting there like i see instagram comments under selfies of girls and it's all their friends going like yes queen or love you or yes slay or something like that it's always something positive it's never girls bringing each other down anymore and it's celebrating the fact that we're all different. And that that's not something to be ashamed of or afraid of. It's that it's our reality. And it's that some things we're going to have and other people won't, some things they will have and we won't. And it's all just a synchronous sense of community in there. And I feel like that's the key word is community. We have to support each other and lift each other up and cheer for each other and all that. Yes, exactly. And
2: it's kind of like, you have to know that everyone at one point feels insecure, they all have their own insecurities. And it's kind of comforting to know that you're not alone in that situation of yours. And it's like really part of the process in, you know, like fulfilling, achieving your true beauty. And these insecurities, they're not there to kind of like bring you down and although that's kind of like how you feel right now it's it's so that you can see another perspective of yourself so that you can appreciate yourself despite the fact that you do have those things that you're self-conscious about.
0: So that concludes our episode for this week. Thank you so much for hanging out with us another week. And we are so excited to see you here in our next episode.
1: Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Talks and on Instagram
2: at Lakambini. Send us messages, send us your love and your rants and feedback. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, stay fabulous!